All right, so Father Harrison, we are well into Lent. Yep. But I have a question for you. Okay. Question. Question. Uh, what did you grow up? Now, what did you call the Tuesday before Lent growing up? Tuesday. Just Tuesday. I didn't grow up going to church, so it was Tuesday. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's a question because I know I know uh, Canada is a heathen country. Did people refer to it in a certain way? Like Fat just Tuesday? Culturally? Fat Tuesday? Usually? I don't okay, I, I really don't. I, I maybe have heard, I had heard vaguely, but I wasn't really hanging around Catholics and stuff like that on. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, didn't know. See, it's funny because growing up in Pittsburgh, it's still culturally very Catholic. Right. And so everywhere, everywhere, there's deals on fish and there's fish fries, mm-hmm. um, churches, fire halls, restaurants. And so even if you're not Catholic, Lent affects your diet somehow. Right. Um, and so I always grew up knowing the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday as Fat Tuesday. Right. Because that's really getting to the heart of the matter. Exactly. Like just, just get just get real fat. Get lit pen, on food. Right. So if you can stop sitting. Just kidding. Okay. But uh, it's also called Shrove Tuesday. Yep. Which is some like English word basically yep. meaning to confess, right? There's also Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Which right? is. Right. Yep. Which That's is. French thing. Which is French for Fat Tuesday. Ah, okay. There you go. Yep. Thanks for the translation. No problem. Mar- Mardi Gras. Mardi is then... Tuesday in French and Gras means fat. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else? Any other names for Tuesday? The kind of season leading up oh, is kind this is what I was getting to. Okay, okay. Oh, wait. Like, tell us about the fancy season that we don't have anymore. Wait, like, oh, there's... um Ah, ah, I, I know it, and then I just totally lost the name. You go ahead. You tell me. I forget. It's something that, like, Father Alex Frank would know. Exactly. Um, the pre-Lenten season. <laughs> yeah, the pre... Oh, my gosh. It's the Septuagesima stuff, right? It gets... Uh, so basically, there was, like, a, a Lent before Lent yes, back in the day. Yeah, where they would bury the Alleluia... Start wearing purple. And so while we never forget anything or ever make mistakes on this podcast, now is your opportunity to remind us what that name is. Tweet at us, at ClericalPod. But I was talking about just the Tuesday, something I've only recently begun to hear, but apparently it's a thing. Some people called it Pancake Tuesday. Yep. Which makes sense because what will make you fatter quicker than pancakes? Pancakes suck, though. Okay, yeah. Let's get into this right now. Father Harrison, not a fan of pancakes. I hate pancakes. I've never understood. I mean, okay, I get why people do the pancake thing because the tradition for Lent, especially with Orthodoxy, it was the Mm -hmm. Catholic tradition too, was that you got rid of all your flours and eggs and milks and stuff like that uh, Mm -hmm. before Lent started because you didn't eat any of those things. No oil, no meats, no... That's how you make your your punchki if you're Polish. You get all that good stuff and you turn it into a donut. Exactly. Mm. And it's the same thing with pancakes, right? You use all these things that you're not going to be cooking with Lent and you make pancakes. Mm -hmm. But I can think of about a billion different things that are better than pancakes. Okay. So I think... Why? Most pancakes are overrated. No, pancakes are overrated. Most pancakes are overrated. Pancakes are overrated. You get if you get like a, a good pancake, it's actually quite delicious. Like every That's once in a while, I go to a fancy restaurant and I'll get like a good pancake and I'll be shocked by it. It's like, oh my goodness, wonderful! No, there's like no, if you get one that's no like such thing as a good pancake. Pancake. Okay, wait, just 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 for a second. Like you can get one that is light and fluffy and uh-huh. still full. It's actually a pastry. It's actually like a, the cake part of the pancake and not just like a condensed, like super dense, dried out, boring brownie sort of deal. So like um, there's a restaurant. That's an offense to all brownies. 
Well, I don't like the super dense brownies, like the fudge brownies, where it becomes more like a brick than a yeah, brownie. Yeah, but at least they're moist. Okay, okay. But you know, like, have you ever like, a bad one that's just a child? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, but anyway, but like, uh, there's a restaurant that I like to go to every once in a while, First Watch, and I think it's a chain, so it's not that fancy, mm-hmm. but they have these lemon ricotta pancakes. Okay. So you've got like the ricotta cheese and a lemon spread over it, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Amazing. You get that with bacon. You put a little bit of maple syrup on the bacon. Do you do maple syrup on bacon? On your fake you bacon? Can, you can. Right? I yeah. just like that a lot. Yeah. So anyway. Salty and it can sweet. be really, really good. No, pancakes suck universally. You've never had a pancake you've enjoyed? No. Like we this have sad. We, we have dinner before religious ed every year, every day, every Tuesday, and tonight's Fat Tuesday, and so they're having pancakes. I'm going down. I ain't eating the pancakes. I'm ordering a pizza afterwards. I'm not eating the pancakes. I hate pancakes. Wow. Pancakes suck. There are there are families listen to this, so I'm sure like no, I have friends. They'll do breakfast for dinner and yeah. have pancakes. And I was would, would you just... well, when I was visiting the last in uh, Washington in October. Mm-hmm. Shannon made her kids pancakes for dinner. Did they put powdered cheese on them? N- no, they did not. They okay. didn't, he he hadn't yet discovered powdered cheese. Mm. He put chocolate chips in them for the kids. Oh, that's wonderful. I yes. mean, kids, whatever. Kids will eat them. But she was like, I hate pancakes. I'm like, thank you, Shannon. You see? I'm not alone on this. Wow. Is this pancakes suck? Pancakes suck. I hate pancakes. You've never had a good pancake? No. It's just, it's so dense. It's it's dense. It tends to be See, too I dry. I feel like you haven't had a good one. I think I... I I've, so I've never been to In-N-Out. I'm going to withhold my opinion about... Or is it Whataburger? What's the one that you like? In-N-Out. Don't, In-N-Out, okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm willing to withhold my opinion. And now I want you to withhold your opinion a little bit. Have room in your heart for pancakes. I've had like hundreds of pancakes in my life. Hi, this is Clerically Speaking, and I'm Father Anthony Sharapa. <laughs> Father Harrison Air. Oh my gosh. So, uh, yesterday, well, I guess a week and a half ago now since the recording. I was mm-hmm. in Victoria visiting friends for my day of rest. I went to some good friends, listeners of the show. This is actually one of the cool things. Everyone I visited on my day of rest, everyone was talking to me about my podcast. I had five different visits on the Sunday night and Monday. Were they saying good things they were or saying, bad they things? They were saying good things about the podcast. Delightful. I was actually kind of shocked. Oh, my friend, even my friends listened to the podcast. So they hear from me enough. I was delightfully right. surprised. So mm-hmm. hi, friends. Um, but I went to for lunch at my uh, friend... Gio's parents' house. Uh, she, she's married with two kids, and then uh, I've known her and, and her family for a long time. So I went there for lunch because my remember uh, how I talked about a couple weeks ago how I just wasn't up to standard with soon to be Saint John Henry Newman's library. Right. You wanted you don't you do not yet own twenty thousand books. Right. Thanks to Sam Aquila, I am now. A bit step, bit of a step closer. Okay. So part of the reason I went down was Sam is downsizing his library, and it's all meticulously cataloged because he's a li- he was a librarian for a living oh, at the university. Super nerd. Yes. So no wonder you guys are friends. He gave me his collection of communio journals, which is my favorite academic theological journal in the world. Mm-hmm. A complete collection of first things. Oh my. A complete collection of the Chesterton Review mm-hmm. and a complete collection of the Canadian the- Theological uh, Review. That last one doesn't sound real. 
It, I don't know what about it. It's but not it real. Like a real it's, it's not real anymore. It's dead. Ah, uh, so yes. Thought so. So, so here's a question have, before you get into any more details. Uh, does a journal count as a book? No, but it, it, it but it's a part of a library, and I'm sure okay. even blessed John John Harry Newman had journals in his library in in sure. part of the two, twenty thousand books. So he gave me eleven wine boxes full of journals. Holy moly! I need to buy a new bookshelf. Mm. This is. I'm just thinking about eleven wine boxes full of wine. Yeah, that makes me feel happier. And I'm just thinking, I have to go. Like, I was excited with the idea that I have to go buy a okay, new bookshelf. Okay, but seriously, what are you going to do with all those journals? I'm going to re- read a lot of them, especially the. Are you? Especially the. Are you? I've re- I know you. I know you turned your phone into basically a brick. Yeah. But even so. I am going to, especially the communios, I'll read a lot of them. And mm. listen, a lot of books and jur- like journals, especially, you don't have them to always just read them just for the sake of reading them. They're there for reference. Mm-hmm. So I'll be able to use them for that. I was actually reading an interesting article in one of my in one of the communios yesterday when I had a 15-minute break in between social calls. Yep. And I was it was on uh, the family and technology. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. But I think there's, I mean, I... To preface my critique, yep. I should read more. But I think there's a fine and dangerous line between expanding your intellectual horizons via written literature yep. and straight up book lust. Right. I agree. Listen, I've been very good about not buying books. Okay. I've been very good about this. So mm-hmm. I've bought maybe five books okay. since the <laughs> okay, new year. Okay. I mean, yeah, but it's still gluttony. If someone gives you 12 pizzas, you can't say, I didn't buy any of these pizzas. That's a false comparison. But it sounded like a good one. Rhetorically speaking, I have the upper hand. So that's how this world works, and that's how this conversation is going to work. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Fine, whatever. (laughs) I don't engage with stupid arguments. Stupid arguments win. That's how the internet works. And uh, But someone who did not have stupid arguments, who had well-thought-out arguments, who would have agreed with you on that point and not me, would have been Thomas Aquinas. Our tribute to him right now is the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Hey, congrats. You got it right this time. I know. I focused really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. You're like, I'm going yeah, right? to say the right words this time. <laughs> you saw like the crazy, the crazy in my eyes. Like I'm going to well, say the crazier right than usual. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of the theology of theology. And the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, we've got a tweet. I'm also trying to awkwardly fill your silence as you are browsing. You don't things. have to awkwardly fill silence. We literally pay Nick to fill silences. Except he doesn't sometimes. He just lets it sit there. Only if something funny happens. Like if you say into the microphone, 
I need a bathroom break, and I start singing songs from the Muppets. Then Nick Shirappa finds those things funny and puts it into the podcast. What's your tweet? Okay, so this is an older one from Michael Gormley at Lay Evangelist. But this is something he has been talking about. It's been going on Catching Foxes. They talk about this. Okay, so he says the danger of celebrity Christianity is that we start to believe our own marketing hype, then the applause, then the money. Ain't nothing more ego intoxicating than being called holy when I know I'm not. Hmm. I really like this because if you're in the, uh, I think a part of every priest. Oh, so, oh, Father Harrison, we're priests, correct? Yes. Thank you. Good. We are very often in the public eye. Yes. Like, w- practically speaking, the every day. We get to stand somewhere, have us talk, and people listen to us. Mm-hmm. Now, we're doing this for Jesus, but you and I, we're pretty good at doing this, right? Decent, yeah. We're at least okay. People like it. Yep. And so they give you compliments and stuff. Yep. Which is lovely. Yep. But the danger is you start to do stuff for those compliments. And even mm. though, like, we, I don't think you and I have so much of the temptation for the money part of ministry. Right. Um, I mean, there are some priests who have fallen to that. Yep. Um, but I know something for me is like inflating my ego with my ability to preach or to give a talk or um, like there's a s- severe danger in that. And if you're not yeah. always looking out for that, um, yeah, it's things a, can go wrong for your soul. A, it's all about those sweet, sweet likes. Yeah, that's a danger too <laughs> on the Twitters, right? <laughs> it's like, And there have been times where I'm like, I'm going to tweet something very simple about theology or the church and it's gonna get so many likes and like i think one time i did this like the rosary is good so many likes for tweeting the rosary is good and i was like okay okay i actually i mean you gotta watch out for that stuff yeah like what's going on in your heart yeah exactly i Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i mean it's just i have a big problem with the whole celebrity culture we have in catholicism and north american catholicism Mm -hmm. oh so the so-and-so speakers here and it's First, if you're tweeting any quote-unquote big-name Catholic like a celebrity, you got to get your priorities checked because they're really not a celebrity. Right. So celebrity in the Catholic world is still like infinitesimally small compared to celebrity in the Protestant world, which is still very, very, very small in comparison to celebrity in the secular world. Exactly. So you don't even have that much worldly glory. Exactly. But the sad thing about that is it doesn't take a lot of worldly glory to get us intoxicated. Exactly. Like, woo! Woo! A dozen people (laughs) liked my tweet. Look at me, how fancy I am. (laughs) Yeah. You got invited on the crunch. Look how famous you are. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, So I, and I, we've, really have been pushing like we really allow the culture of celebrity to kind of infest the church and it does us no good because there are people i have heard i I probably mentioned this before i've heard so often people say i want to be a famous catholic speaker you that is a bad statement off the start yeah that is a bad statement off the start Mm -hmm. so you shouldn't even be saying that but the fact that this is these are ideas that can go through our heads i think show that we have a lot of work to do to destroy the celebrity in our in our in our culture. And the first step to that, folks, is to unfollow Father Anthony so that his ego can be checked <laughs> and his followers can plummet. 
I mean, you're not wrong. I can't. <laughs> I mean, eh. Dang. It would bother me a little bit. Maybe that's good. Okay. okay good. All right. Uh, all right. I will do the at Patrick underscore coffin tweet. Okay. Okay. He is quoting uh, an article about how the Pope talks about how we. Wait, why isn't it showing up? Oh, there it is. How the church must become like the grieving mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says this. When, oh, when will this feminized language end? Grieving mother? How about angry father? Now, we talked about this a little bit last week with yeah, yeah, yeah. Pope Benedict's quote about uh, the Mar- Marian dimension of the church. And I think that's what yeah. we have to keep in mind always. The church is by her nature a mother. He got a lot of flack for that one. Be- Good, and rightfully so, because it was kind silly. of not... You know, it's kind of silly. It's like if you actually read any basic ecclesiology book, you will actually discover that this is the church. This is always the church. This is the nature of the church. And the church is not meant to be an angry father because the church is not a father. We always use the prep we always use like the the word she in reference to the church, right? We don't use yeah. the word he. Yeah. If that's we the- use we use she in reference to the soul. Yep. Um, okay, so but to give not quite the devil, but just to give Patrick Coffin his due. Yes. I totally I think and we both agree on this. Mm-hmm. Neither of us like any kind of like like wussification or over sentimentality. Right in the church right and even even you know women don't like this over sentimentality in the church and they don't like being um limited to a kind of mushy fluffy like entity in the church right um and uh, all of us i think would have liked to see at the beginning of this scandal and even still now more of righteous anger coming from a fatherly place from a lot of our church leaders so right. i get all that so i get that but you got to watch out because if you let your emotions get ahead of you, you tweet dumb things. Yeah. And, here, and it's just turned out to be kind of a dumb thing. And here's thing the thing. Tweet. Yeah. There is a place for the quote unquote, the angry father, but that's in mm-hmm. relationship to the priest. And it's, I think it betrays right. an identification between the hierarchy and the church as what the church is. Um, right. The ghost of clericalism right. haunts us again. Exactly. The church <laughs> is true, not yeah. just the hierarchy. It's the no. whole body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that the clergy have a particular role in that as fathers. And that's where you, we can say that. But the church mm-hmm. is a grieving mother. And absolutely. And there yeah. were lots of tweets and responses, quoting scripture, quoting the fathers, uh, <laughs> hopefully fraternally correcting him to see that this was not a very good take. But also, who doesn't want to dunk on Patrick Kaufman when you get the chance, right? We should be charitable towards our brothers and sisters. Right, right, right. right. I'm just saying this is this is another temptation. Um, okay, but good, 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 good. All right, what do you right. got? What do you got? I've got a tweet from Chris at CMC Cafe, and it's just a picture. C McAfee. Is that C yes. McAfee? C C M McAfee. C M McAfee. Oh, a... I am terrible at these. You are. So a correction. Last yes. week or two weeks ago, yes. you said <laughs> that uh, Canon, uh, Ed Condon's Twitter handle was Canon, mm-hmm. at Canon Lawyered. Yes. And I said, no, no, it's at Canon Lawyer Ed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I figured, you know what, this, this Canadian, he's got so many degrees after his name. Uh-huh. And who am I? To, like, he's got to know what a Canon Lawyer would pick for his Twitter name better than I. So yeah. m- me, in my humility... In my meekness, acquiesced 
Yeah. To the idea that I was wrong. Uh huh. But you were but right. I was right. Miracles happen. Yeah. It's great because I was accidentally right. <laughs> like even when I trip and fall, I end up in a bed of like correctness and accuracy. <laughs> Cannon right. lawyered. Okay. Uh, at Cannon. What were we so talking about? <laughs> we were talking about Chris's tweet. Chris's tweet. Another is, diagram. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the tweet is it says he says I still believe this, and it's a picture of a diagram, and on the diagram you've got Plato and a bunch of arrows pointing to Aristotle and Plotinus and all these philosophers and even saints. So it webs out to all of these big-time thinkers, Boethius. Then you've got also sacred scripture on top and liturgy pointed to all these figures. And then and all, all these it's figures— It's off to the side, obviously, because right, right, the side. Plato. Plato, sacred scripture, anyway. This web of all these great thinkers all point down— <laughs> To Thomas Aquinas, uh-huh. implying that all of this stuff is led and summed up all in the great Thomas Aquinas. I believe that too. I half believe this. Okay. Because I mean, at least for with you know, with the pagan philosophers, I'm totally okay with them all eating. And like Boethius, I studied a lot of Boethius to understand Aquinas. Uh, but like, I feel like you know, Origen stands a little bit on his own. Like but, oh, but Gregory you're saying, Nyssa, but you're saying origin doesn't lead directly to Aquinas. Origin leads to Aquinas through uh, Gregory Nyssa, through Ma- then through Maximus, then through Decausus. So right. that's why. Okay, like I get it, but if I feel like this diagram out of context, which makes the makes the picture so great, implies that like you know what, you don't need any of these guys. You just need Thomas Aquinas. You should see his next one. <laughs> After it, it's it's the worst it's the worst diagram I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, folks, you have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we'll have to try. We'll have to retreat it with the. Uh, but anyway, seminary, getting the, back uh, to Thomas okay. Aquinas. Okay, it's probably saying if you if it's a map of like the diagram of thought, it it pretty much works. Mm-hmm. But if it's a map of, of like, you know what, just all you need is Aquinas. I half agree with that. Oh yeah, but that's not what it's saying. Right. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that all these people are. Thomas is a a synthesizer of a lot of this. Sure. So. But I think like even though as as great as Thomas Aquinas's theology is and how well it synthesizes it, yeah. you're always gonna lose something. Yeah. Like you lose something of Augustine well, of in Aquinas. Of course. Of course. Of course. Right. So that's what I'll say. It's okay to read people who aren't Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. At Father Rocket Dan. Shout out, or shout, yeah, I think he means shout out to all the parish secretaries and administrative assistants who spent all day answering questions about what time are the ashes. And when you say the mass time, they ask, yeah, but what time are the ashes? Because they don't care about the rest of it. Only the ashes. This is amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure, even though we're recording this before Ash Wednesday, the, the how do I want to put it? Um, the yearly outrage that happens on Ash Wednesday. From Catholics, mm-hmm. right? So, first of all, I mean, every parish secretary goes through this. I know all of, all of the ones that my parishes have. Like, people want to know just when to get the ashes, not wanting to go to Mass, not anything like that. And then all of the good and faithful Catholics, like you, listening to Summa Tweetologica right now, within the podcast, clerically speaking, you're a good Catholic, and you want to go to the Mass. You don't just want dirt on your head. And you may get upset by this. And to be honest... 
I'm at the point in my life where I am more completely fascinated and less angry that people just want ashes. Yeah. I there is some kind of deep clue in this, this, mm-hmm. this thing that happens where everyone wants ashes. The Protestants want ashes now. That's mm-hmm. been the thing that's happening. The Catholics mm-hmm. want a- Everyone wants ashes. Father mm-hmm. Harrison, why does everyone want ashes? Because it's, well, first it shows this innate need to like still have some semblance of a tie with the church. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think so, yeah. It becomes like this external thing about, yeah, being Catholic publicly, I guess. Um, it's really kind of weird in a, and yet culturally accepted. So it's like the one day you can be really weird about being a Catholic and everyone's like, oh, cool, you're Catholic. That's awesome. Right? Because mm-hmm. like, here's the thing. How many of them are going to fast tomorrow? I don't know. How many of them are going to eat meat tomorrow? I mean, probably some. Yep. I've seen, because I've seen pictures of people on like Twitter or whatever who aren't Catholic, like maybe it's a celebrity or a sports reporter or something like that, with the ashes on their forehead, eating a hot dog. And I'm right. like, I, I just, like the cognitive dissonance at play there is just astounding to me. Mm-hmm. Astounding. I, I think, I, 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 you know how we could solve this, Father Harrison? How? By doing it how they do in Rome. Put it on the. I, I like that. I actually, I would love to do that. So, it, for those who don't know, uh, in Rome, and I assume in other places in Europe too? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting a big old cross on your forehead so everyone can see it, they just sprinkle some ashes on your head. Because that's the whole idea. Little, yeah, and that's more biblical too. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, and so that way. Uh, so I was thinking, like, if I is is there any kind of like liturgical rule for like North America that says that we have to put the cross on the forehead? Nope. But I'll tell you a story about this. So the rector of the cathedral did this one year without oh, telling cool. people. Without telling okay. people. Yeah. The outrage. Yes. The outrage from the people. Some people, it's like it's going to ruin my hair, and mm-hmm. I'm like, you've really lost the whole meaning of the day now, haven't you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other people, it's like, no, I want the, I want it on the forehead. But I'm thinking to myself, because people bring this up often to me, right? Doesn't Jesus say to fast and pray in private, to mm-hmm. like, anoint yourself with oil and stuff like that instead of yeah. this public uh, sign that I'm, I'm at in penance? Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that, and I think then that's why the Roman tradition of sprinkling it on the crown of the head, because also yeah. the crown, if you're a baby, where you're anointed with oil. Right, Hi. right. It's the same idea. So the place of anointing is also the place. It's the place of our kingship for our anointing. It's also this. The uh, it's also a sign that 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 we've fallen kind of, from that kingship. Fa- exactly. So yeah. I prefer the Roman method. I just think people would freak out. People are. So, it's just people get attached to the smallest traditions and treat. I'm like, people, read what Jesus says about small traditions, right? And maybe, like, don't be so attached to them. This is not a, a hard, fast rule of the church that you have to do it this way. And you know, I just, um, uh, yeah. Like, at the end of either big political speeches or when you become, I don't know, uh, a king or queen of prom or at the yeah. end of some party, like, there's a balloon drop. Yeah. We should do an ashes drop. Hmm. Just after, let's do it after communion because I think that'd be just safer. Yeah. Like at the, right before the end of mass, and we just pull a lever, and then just mountains of ashes come down on everyone. By the way, can I just throw out one real thing I hated from a few months ago? 
<laughs> okay, fine. Before we get to my very okay. serious idea, okay. Okay. There was a hashtag going around called Bat That Ash Up. Fascinating. I hated it because it was like desacralizing the day. Mm-hmm. And we all know what the ash is meant to replace, right? And I don't, but I'm going to assume it's something terrible and lewd. <laughs> I am so pure of heart, Father Harrison. I have no idea what you're talking about. Lying, lying is a sin. I agree completely. So I was just like, <laughs> but comedic ah. exaggeration. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> or it's even like I even I'm not a big fan of the the hashtag hashtag. Okay, okay. I'm gonna stop you there. I'm gonna stop you there because I don't want to ruin our next tweet. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is the tweet from our Patreon pontification. Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. I guess it would help if I, you know, was able to see the Patreon pontifications beforehand. <laughs> you don't get to see the Patreon pontifications because I choose them right before the podcast. Okay. Patreon pontifications. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the missionaries of charity. If you are part of our $5 pastoral council tier or $10 church lady tier, you have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. One of the practices of Lent is almsgiving. You could give alms to the podcast. I think that counts. Yeah. This week's tweet comes from oh at not a taxi wow okay okay so this is this is married people make things complicated let's just admit that so this is from not not a taxi wow slash idealus it's basically matt and lisa they're married they listen to the podcast they have one patreon account they chose this tweet it's from jeff trico at jeff trico and it says God can wait. You can't. Thinking face emoji. Hashtag Ash and Dash. Hashtag Fort Washington. Hashtag Ash Wednesday. And it's a picture of a sign that is offering, you guessed it, drive through ashes. Yay! Is this a. Yay! Is this a Catholic thing? I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I have a feeling this is not a Catholic thing. I mean, okay. well, let me put this. But way. like, First, would it surprise you? Would it completely surprise you if it was happening at a parish? No. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with this. I mean, okay, there are some people because of work schedules cannot get to Ash Wednesday Mass. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't have enough masses or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. that's fine. Some people like to come to the, like when I was at the cathedral, people would pop in all day asking if they can get the ashes because they couldn't make the mass times. Sure, that's fair, right? And I'd actually say a prayer with them. Like I'd say, we're, I'm not just giving you the ashes. We're we're going to pray together for a bit, right? But this is commodifying ashes. It's putting it into the whole idea of like fast foodism and commodification and commercialization. <laughs> We need to end the commercialization of Lent, Father Anthony. <laughs> I, I completely agree. It's amazing. It's, it's a travesty. <laughs> it is awful in both senses of the term. Like, I am in awe that this You're is the thing that happens. Yeah. It is so silly. Yep. So amazingly silly. But, uh, uh, uh so I think, I don't know. Um, so... I'm going to be uh, giving extra uh, ash 
times for some of the kids at the college because they can't make it to the one thing. So I, right. yeah, I get all that. Um, yeah, there's it's... an opportunity. There is an opportunity here on on Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. to reach out to some people who you normally can't. So I just I hope people took advantage of that, mm-hmm. and not just priests, other people too. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I, okay, so Matt and Lisa, you guys are great. I'm sorry I got annoyed at you because I'm bad at reading Twitter handles, but you guys are lovely, lovely people. You picked a lovely, lovely tweet, and thank you for being one of our patrons. Absolutely. God bless you. As lovely as that married couple is, we're not talking about marriage no more. We're talking about celibacy. Not really, but we're clerics. Um, I gave up doing good transitions for Lent. Now it's time for... But it's, but it's not Lent yet here for us. It is in internet land. <laughs> What's... Dang it. I'm just glad I could ruin your transition even more it, than you were already ruining it. <laughs> this is the worst transition ever. Oh, I forgot the name again. Presbyteral Exhortations. I will do it for you because I'm a competent priest and a competent <laughs> podcaster. It's time for Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh. It's oh. the best part. Oh. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. All righty. Father Harrison, do you want to talk about theology of the body some more? Well, I think you want to talk about theology of the body some more. I do. I know. I know. But do you want to talk about theology? Of the I body always. Some more? Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Not theology of the body. Sorry, theology of the human person. Top. Top. Um, yes, I would love to talk about some theology of the human person. Ooh. I always, okay. I'm, I'm always game to talk about theology of the human like person. If I, we're gonna keep doing this, I think we are gonna keep doing this. I think we should make Nick make a bumper for theology of the human person. Right, like a record scratch when we when someone's saying theology of body, like no, that's stupid. Let's talk instead <laughs> about theology of the human person, something like that. Nick, you can work with that or not. You can edit all this out. And now it's time for theology of the human person. You have human dignity. Guys and girls are different. Full, total, faithful, fruitful. Yeah. Okay, so last time we just did a brief introduction. So yeah. if you haven't listened to the previous podcast uh, with Theology Body, go do that. What are theology you doing? Not person. listening. The all. Oh, okay. So I'm just, I'm just gonna keep on correcting you. You know, it's important. It's important because there's two things. One, that term does come from John Paul II, theology of the body. Yes. But yes, we are talking about his overall system of thought, which is a theology of the human person. Mm-hmm. So this is good. We're trying yes. to talk about Catholic things in a Catholic way. Yes. So if you haven't listened to the last podcast, what are you doing? Go listen to it. Listen to all of our podcasts. Donate to our Patreon. Subscribe. Review. Rate. Send us just candy. Quick... Send us candy for Easter. Yeah. A quick summary. This is John Paul II teaching us about who the human person is. He's really relating a new story, biblically based, theologically based, about what the human person is. So this all begins with the biblical story about the Pharisees asking Jesus about divorce. Jesus says, you shouldn't be divorcing nobody. In the beginning, it was not so. 
So Jesus aims to heal the understanding of the human person by pointing at first to the beginning. So in the beginning, God creates the world. What do we learn from this? That the world is ordered. It makes sense. It is good. God creates human beings. Human beings have bodies, but we're not of the world. But we're still very involved deeply in the world. We're kind of this bridge between God and the material world. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And we're made male and female. So this kind of basically covers that first account of creation. The first one we run into in the gospel. Uh, and not in the gospel, but in, in the Bible. Now we're going to get into the second account of creation. So that first account is kind of this cosmological, a little bit more objective account. Like, this is what God did. Boom. Right. This second account is the more subjective. How we experience ourselves as people. Right. How we experience God in this. Okay? Okay. In Jesus' appeal to the beginning, he's appealing to something that John Paul II will call original innocence. So this is humanity's time before the fall. So this is the time in the Garden of Eden. So Father Harrison, I have maybe a tricky question for you. We're talking about before the fall. We're talking about Adam and Eve. Here's the open-ended question. Did Adam and Eve exist? We don't know. Bummer. We have no scientific evidence. There is some evidence. Okay, let me rephrase this. Yeah, because this is a big question. Cassie Kanubi talks about this, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is it Cassie Kanubi? Yeah, Cassie Kanubi uh, talks about this. You could just see just the documents. The documents. The Magisterium. The Magisterium, yes. does talk about how we come from a single pair of original parents, and that, that is part of church teaching. Mm -hmm. And scientific evidence uh, has actually been pointing that way. That we are we are a single origin species from a male and a female. Right. Were they known as Adam and Eve? Probably not. Who knows? They could have been, but the names are meant to signify something for the story that's at play there. Um, so we because we have to remember Genesis, the first eleven chapters are not meant to be taken as literal history, mm -hmm. but as mythical history. That it's a mythical story that points to eternal truths that tell us something about who God is and how creation works and wh who we are. But it's not meant to be taken as like a little story about Adam and Eve. Right. So about, about our first parents, there are first parents. We right. just, yeah, we don't know a whole lot about them. So this is a story about how it's humanity, a story about a girl. I mean, you're half right, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> or third right. Cause it's about God too. Okay. That's so that's understanding of it. This story is telling us, who we are. Right. And a little bit of an idea of what happened. The fall happened. And this story is the best way we have to explain it. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Yep. So we got the state of original innocence. So mm -hmm. this is a state of human beings before the fall. Right. We weren't created in a fallen nature. Right. Humanity began unfallen. It's really important. So it's interesting that Jesus is pointing towards this unfallen order. Because it's implying something right here. Mm -hmm. That something about that original order that God made is still applicable to us even now. Right. We've fallen from it, but we're still in relation to it. It's not completely foreign to us. Because mm -hmm. if it was, then why would Jesus be pointing to it? Mm -hmm. 
but it also implies something else that Jesus is going to, in some sense, bring us back to that. Mm-hmm. He's healing it. Well, he's not just going to bring us back to it. He's actually, we're actually going to receive a state that's greater than it. Right. So there's a sense in which Jesus comes to uh, not only just heal us and bring us back to this state of original innocence, in a sense, he makes us something more. Mm-hmm. So, but that happens. We're gonna jump around, but that happens over time. So we hear mm-hmm. in Romans how all of creation is groaning, still kind of awaiting this thing, and it's this tension we have in Christianity of an already but not yet. Yeah, Christ saves by the cross. Mm-hmm. He saves by his actions, but that is still being worked out in us over time. Right. Is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. Okay. We're not going to get back to original innocence in this life. In this life, we will not be like Adam and Eve. Right. We will begin to experience some of that in some ways. We'll begin to experience this elevated state in some ways that we are children of God. Mm -hmm. And this is what the saints experience on this earth. Mm Mm-hmm which is more than any of the... Okay, so there's two sets of human beings. You have original innocence. Pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian. Yeah, pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian. John Paul II, just so you know, uses like a lot of original innocence and then historical man. Yeah. Okay, so historical man is fallen man. Yeah. And by man, we mean human beings. Got it? Those are two states. We're good. But this is important because also the Catholic idea that the fall doesn't destroy all of us. Right? The fall doesn't make us completely evil. Right. We're wounded, we're broken, but we're not complete and total garbage. That's a very Catholic idea. Right, Father Absol- Harrison? Absolutely. Okay. We, we, we do not lose. Yeah, we don't lose at all. So it begins to talk about original solitude. Yeah. Original solitude. Yeah. And there are two senses of original solitude. One, ontologically speaking, humanity is alone. Right. There's no other creature like humanity. So in that sense, you're alone. Yep. The other sense of original solitude is dudes are alone without chicks. Chicks are alone without dudes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So man and woman without each other are alone. Right. There's an incompleteness. Yeah. If you just have a dude, there's an incompleteness if you just have a lady. Right. Okay. Two kinds of solitude. So we're going to be talking about the fact that human humanity is kind of alone in the created order. Right. Okay. So in that second story, God makes man. Now, man here stands for two things, both uh, Adam, as in a dude, but also humanity in general. Mm-hmm. Okay, so God makes Adam, and he begins to bring all the animals to Adam, right? And mm-hmm. to see how Adam will name them. Mm-hmm. Well, and he, and he says before then, he goes, it's not good that man should be alone. Right, right? it's not so, good that man should be alone. Right, yeah. Right, okay. So he starts naming all the animals. And at the end, Adam realizes that none of these animals are like him. Right. So a few things are going on. One, Adam is naming these animals. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's naming points to the fact that he is above them. Mm-hmm. He is superior to them. Right? So yeah. like you name, uh, when you have a baby, you get to name the baby because you're above the baby. The baby doesn't get to name you. Right. That's a silly example, but it's kind of like the, what yeah. it shows. But God is doing something very interesting. He's allowing humanity to discover itself. Look at everything in the world. Look and see that you are not like everything. Mm-hmm. And that happens in two ways. In one way that the animals aren't naming each other. They're not explaining each other. They're not even, they're not 
curious about themselves. Mm-hmm. But man is learning that man is curious about himself. He's self-conscious. He mm-hmm. has an inner life. Mm-hmm. But also, he looks at all of those bodies and says none of them are like his body. Right. Which is interesting because he could have looked at all the other animals and thought, well, this is basically like a human being mm-hmm. or this is close enough. Yeah. Because it's made out of matter. It's the same stuff. But he doesn't. He becomes increasingly aware that he is alone. Mm-hmm. But in that being alone on the created level, he's still in relationship to God. This is all happening under God's guidance. So we're learning something about humanity mm-hmm. that we're not like anything else. But a part of our inner being, who we are, it's in relation to God. Humanity doesn't make sense without God. Right. And it doesn't make sense just as an animal. What's the difference? Um, what is that differentiating factor then between us and the animals? I think it's working on two. One is just that Adam is looking for basically a mate. Yeah. And he's not finding it in snails, right? <laughs> There's right. no like female human body there. Adam is looking at this stuff, realizing what he's not. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that we understand. You know, whenever you see a, a movie and it's one of those like body swap movies, yeah, or someone undergoes a transformation, what's the first thing the character does? They look at their hands. Yeah. They like look at themselves to see who they are. Right. There's something about the human body that we realize that we're different. Right. And this is a really important thing because this isn't the I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. That's not how humanity comes to know itself. Right. It's more like I am. Therefore I think. And yeah, exactly. Like I'm here. I know I'm here. And now I'm thinking. Right. This is a way more human and a way more practical way understanding of how we acquire knowledge or how we are in the world. That's always going to, that was always one of um, JP2's biggest criticisms. And it's why he focuses a lot of his philosophy on the idea of action. It's because he really did not like the Cartesian idea of, I think, therefore I am. That that um, being um, proceeds from exist, existence, but rather it's the other way around. Um, being precedes existence like who right. we are is, precedes uh, what we do and etc and yeah. that flows out of a nature that we are gifted and given into something yeah and i wanted to talk a little bit about this because this is it's a, it seems like a small thing but it's like a really important thing yeah because out of this Arche- our um, cartesian idea i think therefore i am it places the inner life or the mind it kind of separates the mind and the body okay yeah Whereas, like, in the story of Adam, humanity sees himself and knows that he is. And this is, how do I put it? It's a more human way of going about it. Um, okay, here's a question. Okay. I'm not sure if I asked this before. Is it more accurate to say you have a body or you are a body? I I struggle with either way of looking at it. I still okay, haven't figured yeah, out. go through it. I still haven't figured um the problem with I have a body mm-hmm. presumes that subjectivity resides apart from the body. Like my right. identity so and who I am. There is this I yeah. and then it, it runs the body machine. Right. Exactly. It's the ghost in the machine idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not a Catholic position. I am a body is closer, but where I worry about it is 
you look at the body to the exclusion of the soul. Now, one could argue that the eye is an expression of the soul itself, of that kind of self-identity, that spiritual element of the self. I, I guess I would prefer to say I am an embodied soul is kind of the yeah. way I tend to like to look at it. Uh, yeah. Because our I, our, our subjective identity, our, our personhood is the summation of the body-soul dynamic. And so there is a distinction between this, the subject, the soul, and the body, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. I'm getting kind of philosophical here. so Right. So let's break it down a little bit because it was a trick question. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to get at something here. Yeah. Um, is that, yeah, both are both don't quite work. Right. Um, because also, like, example, like, let's say you 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 go to war and you lose an arm, you lose a leg. Did you lose a part of yourself? Right. Like your innermost being? No. But at the same time, uh, amputees, even when they lose, like, a toe or something, they feel like something very, more than just a, it's a, it's a very deep experience that they have and a deep pain. Right. And I think just the one thing we need to emphasize is that the body and soul dynamic are much more closer united than the culture gives it credit for. Yeah. Um, for example, when you think of a person, like Father Harrison, when I, when I think, oh, I'm going to podcast with Father Harrison later today, mm -hmm. what do I think of? I think of Father Harrison's face right there on the screen mm -hmm. because that's how I know who you are. Right. In a sense, that's there's a connection between that. And that's why when we pray, we talk about God's uh, countenance, right? Yeah. Yep. Like the, his face, the expression of his face. Yeah. There's something about it where the body becomes a kind of sacrament of the person, who the person is. Right. Both containing and kind of revealing. Mm -hmm. hmm? Yep. So if that's your understanding of the body and who the person is, one, the body is, it becomes a gift. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you created yourself, and because of that, it's not something that you can just mess with willy-nilly. Right. Right? Uh, but also understanding that it's revealing something about who you are. Right. So what's right. the body revealing about solitude? Okay. What is the body revealing about like solitude? What, like what is Adam's experience of himself in relationship to the animals, in relationship mm -hmm. to God? What is that experience of solitude, like, like his his experience? Let me rephrase this. His experience yeah. of self is revealing a solitude to him. So what does right. that what does that mean? What does that mean? He realizes, and this is kind of we're, we're a thousand of ways we're saying the same thing. He realizes he's he's not like anything else. Right. I mean, that's really what John Paul II is talking about in these early chapters. Mm -hmm. Like and he, he finds himself in the world and he finds he's not like anything else. Right. He finds that he's different than the animals, he's different than the world, he's certainly different than God. He mm -hmm. has a relationship with both, but it's different. Okay. And that's a kind of solitude, mm -hmm. being by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think it also creates a kind of a potential, if you don't know your relationship to God, and if you don't know relationship with other human beings too, I think, right. this creates a kind of anxiety in the soul. Right. Because Father Harrison, this entire podcast is actually to get to this one question. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in aliens? <laughs> I have no opinion on the matter. Ah, okay. Here's my big theory about aliens. Okay. People want to believe in aliens because of their experience of original solitude. That's, yep. People want to think, people think that if you find an alien, and not like a space fish or a space duck or a space bug, right? but if you find like a space person out there, mm -hmm. 
then maybe that will make me feel not alone. Right. So what? Why is is does John Paul II present solitude as a problem? Like, no, like, he does. Like as a negative thing, or is yeah. it something positive? Okay. So ba 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 ba. That's a good question. I think I might be getting ahead of myself. Okay. Because I, I have an answer, after, but I mean, I'm trying to create dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I, here, no, it's good, it's good. Because like original solitude is just a thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a state. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think after the fall and after we break our connection with God and we mess up our connection with other people, then it becomes a pain in us. Right. Whereas for Adam, it's not so. So the the solitude of humanity being alone in the cosmos, like alone on this one level, not an angel, not a bug, not God. Yeah, that is not a bad thing at all. Right. And even with that solitude in on the human level, I don't think he sees it as a as a negative thing either. Right. It's this for him. It's this like the solitude. It's like a negative experience, but not in a suffering way, but as in a I'm searching for my completion. I'm searching for the thing that actually fulfills me. And that that solitude is actually something that's supposed to be kind of embraced by Adam. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what Adam does, right? He, he, he sees that, okay, I'm not like God. So that creates an existential solitude. Mm-hmm. I'm not like anything else. That, that increases the existential solitude. But I also recognize that my body is built for something else. Mm-hmm. It's built for communion. Yes. So it goes seeking that communion through the animals by God's command. And it mm-hmm. says, that's not there. And it's only in the creation of Eve that he's able to actually come to a place of recognizing that, like the solitude is meant to help lead to him to the fulfillment of his purpose and his nature. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. It's just, it, it, I think it shows us, like we hear that word solitude, we think it's bad, mm-hmm. right? Again, like you hear this, I'm sure sometimes when people, it's like, oh, I'd love to be a priest. I just fear I'd be alone. Right. Right. We, we look at solitude or, or aloneness as an inherently bad experience. And John Paul's trying to tease out to us that actually no solitude and, and even that experience of aloneness is actually something that's a very positive thing for the human being. If you see it in the right light, as something pushing you towards the fulfillment of your nature and what you're created mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And if you're listening to our conversation, if you're still with us, what you're hearing is a lot of language about relation. Mm-hmm. Man's relationship to God and to the world. God is, what scripture is showing us is that humanity is so essentially relational. Mm -hmm. And this goes against this idea that, um, because I I mean, the culture is a whole mess of contradictions because there's still this feeling that it's good to be on top or by yourself or, or let's make it more Christian. The... Oh, I don't want to say this. Let's back up. So what that solitude is teaching us is our relationship with God. Right. Like this whole in this whole story, just look at the story. God is guiding humanity, helping humanity see who it is. And it's happening through relationships. So it's showing us that the primary, even before um, man and woman, their relationship, which we'll get to uh, on our next time we talk about this. But even before that, more primary is the relationship with God. Right. Yeah. Our primary relationship is one with God. Yeah. So and because like Adam's yeah. solitude forces him to not look first to the animals, but to receive from God the command to go to the animals. Yes, exactly. 
And God does more than just that. He, um, you know, is giving laws and commandments to Adam. Uh, yeah. Don't eat from the tree and this sort of thing. Um, so you can see if relationship with God is a fundamental part of what it means to be a human being, mm-hmm. now we understand in a deeper sense why humanity without God is so crazy and so alone and searching violently and doing violence upon itself in order to find this kind of unity. Right. And this is like, and this is what we call, I mean, it's all pointing the same thing, whether you call it love or meaning or purpose, we're looking for God because that is our primary relationship. And that's the relationship that was damaged in the fall. Yeah. We've lost of what it means to be human when we lose God. Yep. So Adam goes to the animals. He's he's like he's got this dual sense of solitude, right? That that John yeah. Paul talks about. Um, that's kind of where we were ending there. So, yeah. So we talked mostly about sort of humanity's experience in the world in the cosmos. Yeah. Next time we go into the theology of the body stuff, we're going to talk theology about the human person. Theology of the Human Verse. Next time we go into that, we're going to talk about original unity. Nice. I, th- I feel well, like we need to start like a man. We need to start like a woman. We need to start like a swear jar for you. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a Every time I say jar. T-O-B, it's like, no, yeah. it's got One dollar to the missionaries of charity. No, I'm kidding. I won't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Original unity is a huge one, right? And it's going to really tell us a lot about um, who we are in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about dudes and chicks. Mans and ladies and their relation and how it's good. Awesome. And how it's not bad. Yeah. And then we'll get to the fact that what happens when it becomes bad. Okay, that's good. All right. Tommy Thanks Ty. Thanks for listening, everybody. Was that? We got Tommy Ty on? Oh, Tommy Ty. He wa- no, he's... I- he's- <laughs> He, he's, he's gone into back he, he wants to discover the real meaning of original solitude yes right so he can't be on the podcast he's not gonna be he's focusing on the relation with God right now so exactly. good for him good for him alright thanks for listening everybody please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast tell your enemies too because Jesus says we must love our enemies leave a review like Mark Saki did I've been listening to and loving this podcast. It's fun and inspires my faith. Highly recommended exclamation point. Thanks, Mark. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can find me at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless you.